Welcome to Ikigai Stories. I'm Sam Yushio. The goal of this podcast is to showcase people who are living with intention, working hard to align actions with priorities, and ultimately to provide a platform of inspiration for those seeking to live a life rooted in purpose. Bridget Granger is the founder and CEO of Supporty, a technology company that pairs people as accountability partners to increase the probability of goal success. Grounded in behavioral and social science, Supporty leverages the power of human connection to lead change in bite-sized increments. The story behind Supporty began on early mornings in Boston, where Bridget and her running buddy helped each other stay accountable to their running goals. But when Bridget moved away, she realized that losing the running buddy impacted her motivation. That insight led her on a search to find a tech solution, but to her surprise, she found nothing. With a master's in health policy from Harvard, Bridget was intimately aware of the correlation between social connection and personal health and saw the opportunity to create a human-powered app for goal-minded individuals. An important chapter in Bridget's journey was her work prior to launching Supporty. While working at a consulting firm with the FDA as a client, she began to recognize how far removed she felt from seeing impact on the end consumer. That insight led her to ask her manager, why do you like it here? And when the manager admitted a lack of passion for the work, it served as a catalyst for change. Finally, Bridget talks about how she started grad school with the idea that she would learn the skills to educate people the right way that would ultimately translate into behavior change. But that perspective was quickly dismissed with the insight that telling people to change does almost nothing. The recurring theme of social influence elevated the significance of community and the value of support in everyday life, but especially for those on a path towards self-improvement. Now, please enjoy this episode of Ikigai Stories with Bridget Granger, CEO and founder of Support. Bridget, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. This is great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So why don't we just jump right in and uh, can you share uh, some background on Supporty. Tell us about Supporty. Absolutely. So Supporty is a mobile app that pairs people together one-on-one as accountability partners. And they check in on each other uh, every day for a week at a time on things like daily habits, waking up early, eating some veggies each day, uh, could be career-related. So doing that research on that you know, job you want to get, networking, uh, these little things that people want to do. They're great for us. They're great for productivity, great for health, but sometimes you need a little nudge to make sure you're sticking with it. So that's what Supporty is for. It helps people stay committed to those daily actions that might be small, but over time add up to big impact. Love it. Love it. Um, So are there particular categories or topics that people using supporting have a tendency to gravitate toward? Yes. Uh, a lot of health. seems like everyone has some aspect of health they're working on. And it could be uh, simple as, like I said, eating better and paying attention to nutrition. Uh, could be being more active every day or things like wellness, having some mm-hmm. time to do that daily meditation making sure that you actually do it. We also see things, they could be social goals. So reaching out to a friend each day is a great one. Productivity, we see a lot of. So again, like waking up early, uh, making your daily to-do list. That's a big one for me because if I don't write it down, it's not getting done. So having someone just to make sure that you're doing it and using the power of social support to really motivate you to, to get it done. In terms of the, the goal setting process, what does that look like to set up a goal within supporting? Sure. So we're really focused on actionable, achievable goals. I'm sure many people have heard of the SMART goal framework and we're inspired by that. And we think there's people that have big goals, like they're trying to run a marathon or they're trying to land that new job or start a business. But there's also goals that maybe don't have quite as tangible of an end point. So something like, I just want to manage my stress a little bit better. Both of those take into account daily habits. And it's the things you do every day. So 
So whether you're trying to, like I said, have a big milestone, like run a marathon, um, or if you're just trying to manage your stress better, we'll have you first define that big goal, what that means for you. Why is it important? And then what does success look like for that goal? Like, how will you know you've achieved it? And then from there, we have you pick a daily action. And something that's kind of unique to Supporty that a lot of people tell us, I want to pick multiple daily actions. Um, Supporty, we have you stick to one. So um, I'm not saying that might will be forever, but I do think that a reason a lot of people don't meet those goals, those big things, is because they set up 10 at a time. They want to make 10 big changes. And some of those changes might be really easy. Maybe it's really easy if you're naturally an early riser to get up really early each day. Um, but then there's some things that aren't as easy that you really need that accountability for. And that's what support is for. So maybe it's not so much getting up early. It's making sure you like hustle in the morning and actually... This is a big one for me, but like I like to dilly dally in the morning. That I actually, uh, you know, start work. I'm really trying to start it by eight thirty because what I was what I was finding was I like, get up early. I listen to podcasts, like you know, you guys stories. I'd go for my walk, watch the read the news, and before I know it, like the time I actually got ready to work was ten a.m. And I missed out on my most productive hours. So having an accountability partner just that I committed to, okay, I'm going to start by 8.30. And then my accountability partner and I would talk about, okay, what will that, what do we have to do to make that happen? Well, today I'm going to try only listening to one podcast. Or today I'm going to try uh, showering before, like changing up the schedule. So I'm going to shower before I check any of my emails. That's been a really big one for me. Mm-hmm. And how of this buddy to kind of suggest things that they've tried and how they're waking up early or you know maybe they're <laughs> they're um, masters at it maybe they're struggling with the same thing but that's been um, that's been the real benefit of it so having someone to help you stick to that one thing that's that could have a huge impact if you can do it consistently yeah I love it um, yeah, I mean, I, I've I've heard. I don't know what the research or the the science behind it, but that multitasking is largely a myth, right? Your ability to to focus on more than one thing is isn't real, right? It's like your brain just has to shift to in between things. Yes, which is not productive. It is. It is not. So there's um, there's something called temptation bundling, which is not quite that. And there's also some sort of, um, I think it's called like complementary tasking, where for yeah. example, I can talk and walk and those are using different parts of my brain. So it's not it's not demanding, it's not like the cognitive load that you're referring to with multitasking, which is like, I have, I always have multiple tabs open on my browser <laughs> yeah. and it is asking to be disrupted and I'm always multitasking and I'm not nearly as effective as I should be. So for me, that's absolutely uh, a really, <laughs> really big challenge to focus on the one thing. But the research shows that when people have a goal or an action that they feel really competent doing, so like you start you start meeting that 8.30 a.m. goal time to start working, that actually builds motivation and confidence because you're like, mm-hmm. all right, I feel I feel like I can really do this. I want to do it long term. And then is a good time to maybe once you've really mastered that skill of starting at 8.30, then it might be a good time to add on, you know, maybe you have another another goal related to it could be related to waking up early. It could be related to something completely different. But when you're making these lifestyle changes, taking into consideration that maybe one at a time will be will last a lot longer and have the, the impact you're hoping for. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Um, so is there a, a part of the process that encourages start small and then build on the small to the medium and the medium to the large? Yeah, so we do have this. I call it the goal setting wizard. When you're that, as I mentioned before, you have your big goal and then we help you break it down. Now we have programmed some ideas of big goals you might have. And the thing is, again, people have multiple. They have their finance goal, they have a health goal, they have a career, a social goal. We, we understand that. Um, 
And then once we have you pick your, your daily action based on the big goal you've chosen for this, for this session, for this match with your buddy, um, we then have you, we suggest some goals for you. So if it's healthy, it could be drinking more water, uh, eating vegetables, just even tracking what you're eating to be more aware of what you're consuming. It's huge, hugely helpful. So what people can do is each time they request a match, and I'll, I can talk a little bit more about that, but we pair people together for a week at a time. And so it's like we've talked about the minimum viable product, the minimal viable test. Like, let's test this out. Let's see if this habit, you know, adds value to my life and gets me where I want to be, or if it's just not a good fit at this time for me. So people can kind of every seven days reassess that work? Do I want to keep doing this? Do I want to change and go back to that wizard and say, okay, I I think I've mastered the water, let's say, like drinking, staying hydrated and meeting my water intake. Now it's time to level up and do vegetables every day. Um, And then some people say, I want to have vegetables with every meal, which is very ambitious. (laughs) (laughs) Because if you've ever tried to have breakfast uh, with veggies, there's, there's not too many. There's like an omelet with veggies. There's smoothies with veggies. Um, but a lot of breakfast is geared towards fruit and uh, grains and right. meat and eggs. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. one people seem to run into. That's kind of funny. But uh, but that's a great way people can can level up, so to speak. Um, they, the one The one... Workaround is that we also give people the freedom to enter their own goals manually. Mm. And sometimes people will write, I want to wake up early, eat vegetables with every meal, run six miles. And they have, like, they write this in one little thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's only, you know, that's what you want to do. That's what you want to do. Yeah. Uh, but I think they'll quickly realize that having someone check in on you for all those actions every day is it's a lot yeah and maybe that's why it's been so hard to make these lifestyle changes because you've just set the bar so high that you're kind of setting yourself up for failure right right yeah. yeah i mean change isn't isn't a flip of a switch right it's there's a curve um totally. the the part about the the tabs as we're talking right now i'm looking at my tabs and i've got i've got <laughs> multiple multiple tabs uh and there's always this moment where i feel like i'm overwhelmed i've got like 15 tabs and i feel attached to those tabs but then i know i just have to click the box or click the x in the top right and just let them all go and it's yeah. so rewarding when i do that but it's it's like anxiety producing just considering it it absolutely is and i don't know if this is because we we grew up in the age of before there was autosave and if mm-hmm. you've ever had like the computer freeze oh. and you yeah. lost the whole word document or the powerpoint <laughs> and then you had to like start from scratch i i still have that anxiety when i close everything like maybe i was in the middle of something and it didn't get saved and now i'll never have it again but the reality is like it's all stored in the cloud you can get it right back up if you need it, but it's okay to, like, it's all a part of saying, saying no and like focusing the attention. Okay. What am I doing right now? Do I need to have my calendar open? I'm not scheduling anything. And if I know that there's nothing else going on today, do I need to have it open? Um, checking emails, a really big one, mm-hmm. like limiting that. I heard someone, they said like they check it in the morning at lunch and then like one more time, <laughs> like, wow, that's, that would be a great goal, you know, yeah. just to focus on productivity and focus on managing your energy and limiting those distractions. That's a great goal to have. But if you're doing that at the same time, they are also, I don't know, have a, have a bunch of other goals, like you're trying to journal every day and you're also trying to, you know, reach out to a friend. It's a lot. It's a lot of things. They're all great goals to have and habits to implement, but um, be, be patient with yourself. Yeah. How many of the, of the goals do you think, well, maybe just in general, but then also with the user base on supporting, how many of them are geared towards stopping a bad behavior versus starting a, a good behavior? Oh, that, that's a good question. I want to say maybe two thirds are focused on adding in 
and maybe a third are trying to stop the bad behavior. behavior. So something yeah. like smoking um, mm. is a big one. Eating is a big one. Uh, yep. Internet, like just going down those internet rabbit holes is another big one. So like, yeah. how do you measure that though? That's hard. Or like a lot of people, they choose avoid overeating. But what does that mean? Does that mean not overeating when you're sitting down at a meal? Does that mean not snacking in between? So I think the more specific and customized uh, the goal can be, the, the better, because then you'll know Am I, am I successful? Is I successful at not snacking? Maybe I overate at one, you know, uh, at one meal, but I am really working on snacking. And I think that's where having someone to talk through what exactly your goal is, have, like saying it or texting it in the, the case of supporty really causes reflection. And I think that's the mm -hmm. first, the first step. Yeah. Awareness and reflection. That's, that's a big part of the game. Um, yeah. So how about the matching process? Can you talk through the what that process looks like and how two people find each other on Supporty? Sure. So what's a little different uh, about Supporty is that we pair people up. We find an accountability partner for you. And another thing that's kind of funny is that we it's not a long-term relationship. It's short. It's a week at a time. Um, again, kind of like your goal, like you're just testing it out. And we really believe like as part of our accountability philosophy is that what you do is more important than what you say you'll do. So Love it. Uh, the reason that kind of ties in is that, um, you know, people might say they want this kind of accountability partner. Or we might think these two buddies will hit it off, but you don't really know unless you try it. So we're like, let's try it. Let's try pairing people up. And I think that's what's been really eye-opening. We didn't know if this would work. Like, okay, two people with very different goals, different parts of the world, different parts of the country. Can they still motivate each other? And that's what's been so cool. is seeing people that you don't think have a lot in common, but they do have this shared commitment to let's be positive. Let's support each other. We both want to improve. Maybe we want to improve in different ways how can we support each other? And that has been really fascinating to see because again, I'm like, well, like I've held a lot of people accountable with very different goals. Um, but it's been surprisingly surprising to see that I can still offer suggestions. Um, and it's all about how you frame it. So rather than saying like, of course, you're not drinking water. You know, if you don't have a water bottle next to you, how, no, I don't say that. I phrase it as like, oh, you're trying to drink more water. Something I've found helpful is, you know, keeping a water bottle next to me on my desk all day or like adding lemon, like, you know, funny tips. Yeah. And that's yeah. been so helpful. So I think what we go in with a lot of assumptions that you have to have the same goal, that you have to be the same age, gender, you know, all different assumptions. But why don't we question that and see if that is the case? Um, and when we pair people together who are really supportive, we're finding that those similarities, even though it might be nice to say like, ah, oh, I'm trying to drink water too. Like mm -hmm. it's not always the most important thing. So we're still learning. And I think that is how supporty, how we see it growing is learning like what exactly makes good support, what makes a good conversation um, and using that to drive our matching rather than things that, you know, we have like time zone is actually a funny, <laughs> funny consideration. Uh, we're still learning. Like, do you have to be in a near time zone to motivate someone? I think for some goals, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Goals, you're trying to go to bed and it's morning where someone else is. <laughs> right. right. But maybe for right. other things, it's not um, quite as important. So we're still learning those variables for sure. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming the support is largely about the interest or largely about the motivation to change. And that exactly. is not, I mean, that crosses all, all um, external demographic qualifiers, right? It's all about the implicit, not, or the internal, not the external. Right. Right. And I think, uh, I think a lot of people go into the app thinking it's going to be like a dating app where you swipe mm -hmm. through and find the one you like, but um, 
I don't, I don't know if that's right for supporty. Yeah. Cause again, like someone can act like they care <laughs> um, and seem like they might be, you know, all oh, they, we have all this in common. They'll totally understand what I need, but what if we can have better data showing that this person has been great at cheering people on in the past. Um, they're really motivating. They check in every day. What if, wouldn't that be better for you than someone who maybe has a ton of things in common with you, but who maybe won't check in and who doesn't seem to really care. So, right. so yeah. So, I mean, uh, like I said, we're still, we're still learning and seeing if this works, but I think um, making it very clear from the outset that like, we're open. We're going to be open to being matched with, with people who we're all going to agree that we're going to support each other and, and be, be as helpful as we can be respectful. You know, that's a given. So, you know, of course, policing that is going to be more difficult as we scale. Um, We've seen it, we've seen it done on other platforms. And, you know, I think like, again, like looking to dating apps and um, even other coaching apps, like how do they manage when it, when it doesn't work out. It's not an unsolvable problem, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what does the experience look like? So once two people are matched, or even like if if I jump onto Supporty and I've got a goal to eat more veggies for breakfast, um, what what does that experience look like for me? So after you, you first start by creating your profile, and that's going to be really important for starting that conversation with your buddy to see maybe what you, you know interests you do have in common. Again, that's not necessarily the most important thing we take into consideration for matching, but it is important for just chatting it up with your buddy. So saying, oh, you're from here, you know, this is where you live. That's really cool. Um, I look at, again, your buddy will see your goal They'll see, um, you know, what does success look like for you? Why is it important? You'll see your picture, whatever picture you choose to, to have there. And then once you've you've requested a match, that'll happen after you've set your goal in your profile. Um, it can take up, we say on average, 24 hours, and it really varies. Um, yeah. So sometimes I've had matches that like immediately after your request, you're matched up like within a couple minutes. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer. Uh, and we're still striking that balance. Like, would you rather wait for like a really good match or, you know, are you going to, uh, are you, do you just want someone ASAP kind of like, yeah. you know, ride share? So, mm-hmm. um, so once you're, you're matched, you get notified and you're like, oh, this is surprising. Who? Let's see who it is. And let's like say hi. And for your very first time, this is something new we've implemented, but we heard from people that they're like, I don't know what it means to encourage someone. Like, what if I'm doing it wrong? So we're like, why don't we try having someone who's been through it before? Um, so they're called super buddies. So for your first session, it's a little different. We, it's almost like a tr- safe space to, to try out this whole, this whole thing. And you're only paired up for three days at a time with a super buddy, someone who's been through it before. So um, and they apply, they go through an application process, we review it, we like double check to make sure they are in fact super buddies, uh, you know, really motivating, encouraging, their their buddies have said that they're they're great. Um, and then we, uh, we pair them up one-on-one and that buddy says like, hey, welcome, tell me about your goal. And it's, we use a lot of behavioral modeling. So the whole idea, like I learned a lot about social norms um, in, in my undergrad studies. And that was like, wow, rather than like coming up with an instruction booklet, again, why don't we just try to show show how support works rather than speak about it and say it. And that I think is like when you really start to realize, hey, this whole peer support thing can be really effective. Mm, yeah. Uh, how about seven days? Why, why seven days? Yeah. So we're again, very experimental trying it out. Um, but I think, you know, you want to give it the old college try. You want to say like, I really did try to do this. I think two days, three days may not be enough for that. Um, I noticed that when I start a habit and I think there's probably research to show that like the first few days after you decide that you're going to 
make a change. Those are the easy, that's the easy part. Um, you're really committed that the why is fresh in your mind, but usually a couple days later, something will get in the way. Like you'll get stressed out. Uh, something will disrupt your new flow, your new habit. Um, and it becomes a little more challenging. So seeing, okay, can I get back on it? If I miss day five, can I get back to it? Day six, can I get back on it and stick with it for day seven? Um, and maybe sometimes the answer is no. And that's why after seven days, you can say, okay, I need to scale this back a little bit and just say, can I have a veggie once a day, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. rather than every breakfast or whatever. Um, yeah. yeah. So like we, th- we're, we're testing out seven days. I think that feels right. You know, I've gotten feedback that people want to stick with the same buddy longer, which I totally mm-hmm. understand. And we're, we're trying to see ways of doing that because I do think once you're on a roll and it is working, right. You don't want to stop, which is, and we yeah. don't want you to stop. Uh, yeah. But it's also, you know, if your buddy's not working out, not as responsible as you need, for example, um, it's a nice time to be able to say, like, no hard feelings, but I would like to try something new. And that seven days also kind of gives you, so it's a chance to reflect on your goals, but also a chance for you to kind of opt for a, a fresh start, potentially a new buddy which I think, you know, then you're starting the whole process again of reflecting on your goals and coming up with a plan with someone new who might offer some new perspective. Um, so that's that's what we're thinking with seven days. Um, and I should mention too, like at that point when the quote unquote session ends, we have buddies rate each other. So it's kind of again, like if you've done um, communities like Rideshare or Airbnb type things, the community kind of tells tells each other, like, is this a good experience? Um, and you can give your buddy badges, like this person checks in regularly, this person is full of really positive vibes, this one gives a lot of tough love. That's a really <laughs> common one. <laughs> I think people, I think it takes... Tough a, love? Tough yeah, love is the most yeah. Yeah, I think it takes a while to be like comfortable enough with someone to give them that tough love. But you know, that's I've I've had some buddies that I would consider <laughs> tough love, which is great. It's the you know they're like, hey, I want to make sure I better see a check in that box. Um, I should mention too, like your buddy sees your daily action and you see their daily action, and you get notified when they complete theirs. Oh, okay. Vice versa. So they'll, so I know that they'll see if I'm doing it or not. So your tough love buddy might say, uh, excuse me, I did not see that you, you committed to that thing today. Um, and a more gentle buddy will be like, Hey, did you, you know, did you do it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I think it's, I don't know if I've really made this clear that the support is mutual. And so both buddies are held accountable to supporting each other. So that seven day mark, if you want to be rematched with that awesome buddy, you want to be as supportive to them as they are to you. Mm. And again, that's kind of weaving this accountability through the whole experience. Yeah. On the rating system, is the rating based on, like if I said I wanted to eat vegetables for, for breakfast yeah. and I'm not checking that box. So I hit day day four and things just start to break down and I'm not checking the box on day four. I don't check it on five. I don't check it on six. I don't check it on seven, but the person who's encouraging me, my buddy has been very supportive and positive. Am I rating them based on their engagement with me and not as much? And I realize these two are pretty close, closely tethered. Right. But if I admit I haven't been doing my part, but they've been incredibly supportive. Am I looking at both of those uh, action or the, both of those proof point or those KPIs? I guess uh, we phrase the question as how supportive or how helpful. I can't remember which word we use was or how. I think we phrase it as how well did your buddy encourage you? Mm-hmm. So it is open for interpretation, but I think based on like a lot of other messaging we have in the app and like our emails and our website, the most important thing is that you care and that you check in regularly because when someone like, that's the the toughest thing we hear is when someone's like, my buddy has not said a darn thing. And mm. It's been a week. It's been yeah, a couple of days. That stinks. That feels like they don't care. They forgot about me. And maybe they did like, there are technical issues. Like 
I've had my phone break down and I would feel awful if my buddy thought I didn't care, but it was actually like my phone just died. Right. Right. <laughs> right. So we try to tell them, you know, it's probably not you. Let's like, you know, again, put aside our assumptions. Maybe there's something else going on in their life. That being said, um, I, so I think our messaging is really focused on did the person show that they cared and did they try to encourage mm-hmm. you? Um, yeah. And I think, I would love to see supporting get to a place place where we can kind of have that be more nuanced and understand what exactly does like what maybe you really want someone who's giving you tough love. And maybe you really mm-hmm. want someone who sends you really funny pictures every time, you know, you, you succeed and you see like a funny gif or a cute emoji. Some people that might might love that, some might not love that. And I think that could be really interesting to to understand what let's get beyond, did they encourage you? But like, did you like the style of encouragement and how can the app better supply people that are more um, compliment, like compliment your encouragement style, if you will. Yeah. 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 Um, Are there recommendations on how often they should communicate and what that whole process looks like on a daily? Yeah. We, we say at least once a day. So in order to request a buddy, you are committing to checking in once a day. So we think that's, again, you're tracking a daily action. So that's kind of the bare minimum. But what we see a lot of is multiple times a day or having a set time. Um, Again, I've had buddies where I check in, we check in at a given time, like midday, or I just leave a message for them and they get to it whenever they can. So I say like, hey, hope your day's going well. Hey, I did my thing. And then it's kind of a fun, a fun message because it's personalized. It's relevant to you. So we, I really enjoy getting messages from my buddies. I find that when I don't have an accountability partner, I just don't, don't do that action. Um, <laughs> I don't do it because then I'm watching <laughs> It's just me. And I, I don't really mind. This is a, a big um, driver. If you have you read uh, Gretchen Rubin's The Four Tendencies? No, okay. I'm familiar she, with Gretchen Rubin, but I, I've never read that book. It's that was really eye opening. Uh, she talks about what motivates you, what gets people to act. And there's a group called uh, obligers, people who are really great at rising to the occasion, answering the call of anyone else when asked, you know, so if you ask me like, Hey, Bridget, can you call me tomorrow morning to make sure I'm up if I did like, I will do it. But if it's myself, that's like, I'm just telling myself to get up at 5am when the alarm goes off. I, for some reason, I just can't commit to it the same way as if uh, compared to like, if someone else asked me to hold them accountable. So yeah. Um, so I think there's a group of people who, like, this is definitely not, not everyone, but it's a large part of the population that find it really easy to do things for others, the givers, um, they feel really good helping other people. But then when it comes to their own goals, it always takes the backseat. It's always low priority. And it's so easy to just dismiss like an, an app reminder or your alarm in the morning, things like that. So how about the, the, the narrative that supports, so we'll start to slowly shift gears a little bit. So that the narrative behind um, why you launched Supporty. Yeah. So most immediately, um, the past few years, I have moved cities each time. And each time I had to find a new social network. And for me, I'm, I'm a runner and I love a running buddy to help me um, wake up early and go for a run. And I had an amazing one in Boston. Um, she was a friend and she and I would text each other the night before and she would say, okay, we'll meet at the corner. We had like a corner where our, our streets met. I'll meet you there at, and it was crazy hours. I mean, this is like 5.30 a.m. in Boston. It was dark, it was cold, but without fail, I never missed a workout because I knew she would be there waiting for me. And then fast forward, uh, I moved to Philadelphia, I moved to Baltimore, and I I didn't have networks yet. I didn't have any running buddies. So I found it was so easy, especially in the winter when it's dark and cold outside, to hit snooze. And I no longer was what I would consider an early morning runner. Um, I I totally (laughs) lost the habit, and it stunk. And I was like, all I need is that person 
making sure like I, I committed to um, and actually doing the thing that I want to be doing. And no matter how many reminders I set, uh, it was it was too easy to skip. And so, I mean, I joined running groups, which are great. That's a lot of social accountability there. I loved seeing my running groups, but I did find that it was just a little too easy to rationalize. Will they really notice if I don't show up today? You know, I'm sure <laughs> someone else is going to show up. Whereas that one-on-one peer accountability, like there was no one else for my friend Georgia in Boston. Like no one else is going to show up. It was just me or she was going to be alone in the cold on a corner. And that was, that was terrible. I couldn't do that. So, uh, so now uh, I kind of started to think about, all right, could I have one-on-one peer accountability? Um, And I kept waiting for someone else to make, to make a product that would do this for me. (laughs) I would check every few months, every few years. Okay. Like, how's this been made yet? And no one was doing it. Um, there were definitely the, the word accountability was thrown around. I definitely recognize that coaches provide accountability, but the idea of hiring a coach just to make sure I got my butt out of bed at a certain time just seemed overkill. You know, I think coaches are fantastic. They, they lend expertise and accountability, but it's done less frequently. It's not every day. Um, and it's, it was kind of overkill for what I needed. I knew what I needed to do was not sleep in, get out of bed and run. Um, but, uh, so I, I wanted something that was more pure, less of a coach every day, good vibes and, and ideally virtual. So that when I moved again to Seattle, (laughs) like I wouldn't have to start the search for a running buddy all over again. Um, and so, Eventually, I was like, let's just see if other people have this interest. Uh, And again, I saw accountability groups online. And number one, it was really hard to find people who would would stick to it. Uh, And it also ran into the group mentality. So I'm in a lot of run groups on Facebook groups and things like that. They're wonderful. Reddit has amazing forums. But no one's making sure that you actually posts on that forum. It still comes back to your own, you know, motivation to stick to it. Mm-hmm. So that's, um, yeah, that's what, let me say like, okay, let me put up a website page, see if people will sign up, see if people are even searching for this. And that was, that was nights and weekends hustle. And it wasn't even a hustle. That's I'm using that, that phrase, but uh, it was kind of just a side uh project i think like a discovery either. process yeah. trying to yeah, see. i was like let's just see if there's interest here and so um you know yeah like made made the website which is easy enough it was a great learning experience like you learn that people don't just you don't just put up a website and people find it which is you know, what <laughs> i thought they would do. we have to constantly be making content we do a lot of google adwords or ads i guess they're just called now uh, but that was fascinating because now, you know, even though I had a full-time job behind the scenes, I was gathering data on what people were searching, what led people to the site, what actions they took on the site. Um, and that's been really valuable because then when I started really investing and doing this a couple of years later, I was able to position, like, you know, position the product, know what people wanted. And I even got to talk to a lot of people that signed up for our wait list who were so cool. Um, and gave me anywhere from 30 minutes to like 90 minutes of their time doing what we're doing, just talking about, I would ask them about their past goals, what worked for them, what didn't work for them. Like, why do you want accountability? What, like, is my problem your problem? And in many cases, it was the same thing. They recognized that there was something to a social component that was very motivating to them, but the difficulty of sticking with that person over a long period of time, like a lot of them said they stopped having an accountability partner when they moved or that person moved or for whatever various reason, um, they weren't able to stick with it. And then it was really sad. I felt the same way, like when they stopped the habit. So, you know, I was really on a roll. There's really something working and then just stopped. So they're like, I'm really interested in and what you're doing. And so then it was like, okay, we need to, we need to start making something and, and seeing if there's something to this. 
Yeah. So when did it become, uh, when did supporty become supporty? When did it move out of the phase of it's kind of this side hustle project discovery, uh, ideate thing into, all right, I've this, it's time to, to take that step. Yeah. So I would say the the biggest driver was moving out to Seattle. Uh, We moved out here for my husband's job and I was debating. So I had left my previous job, which I loved, but I was debating, should I find a similar, similar job? Uh, I was a product manager. Should I, you know, I love that. Or should I do this entrepreneurship thing full time, which is really scary, but I thought, let's just try it. Let's like give it a few months. So I spent a lot of those months networking, um, doing a ton of things because I had to kind of do that anyway um, for professional growth, to make friends in the city. And uh, and that's and so that was a little over a year ago. Um, and during that time, I was also looking for a software engineer who would actually build this vision. So, um, so that was also challenging and figuring out like, how are we going to actually make it? And <laughs> yeah. it's so easy, but the amount that you learn from just, from just doing it, I think that's been really uh, interesting about entrepreneurship is just how, how fast you can learn stuff again by doing. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay. So let's do the, the big shift, the big shift gears. Uh, and I'll intentionally keep this very super vague, but can you just start from wherever you want to start and provide some context on what led you? And you've done some of this already, but what what led you to to what you're doing now? Sure. Uh, I think for me, it really started uh, an undergraduate study. So I went to Georgetown. I was very lucky to go there. And I do think a lot of universities say that they have values of giving back to the community, but Georgetown really lives it. And they have um, a value of, uh, they have two two values that really stuck out to me. One is people for others. Um, and it, it means that you're here getting this amazing education, exposed to such wonderful opportunities, but you have a duty to do something with it that makes the world a better place. And to me, that really resonated because it's like I I knew I wanted to do something in science Um, and science, I think, has the advantage of a lot of science does benefit society. Uh, So for me, like I knew I wanted to do science. I knew I wanted to have a positive impact. So that was key. Um, But the other thing that Georgetown teaches is this idea of cura personalis, which is uh, care for the whole person. So it's seeing someone not just as a student but as a whole person not just as a co-worker but as someone who has a whole other life and caring about all aspects the physical wellness the mental um, emotional health spiritual health and so um, so I really took that to heart too so Georgetown was a great experience I did a lot of health promotion things I thought I was going to be a doctor Uh, I was on the pre-bed track and I, th- I went in thinking that there were like two jobs in healthcare, like nurse or doctor. <laughs> I was like, oh, which one will I be? <laughs> and, um, and then I kind of realized that there's more jobs out there and I had to find my place on the map. So um, I, I had an amazing mentor at Georgetown, Joan Riley. She was just a, a great um, influence in helping me think like, you know, there's other ways to have an impact other than just treating people. You can make people change their behavior by by offering other things. So then it was this, this quest of figuring out, okay, what what am I gonna, how am I gonna do that? Um, so fast forward, my my first job, uh, which is kind of kind of funny, um, and figuring out like, okay, what is this way I'm gonna have an impact that's not medicine? Um, wasn't consulting. I didn't really know what consulting was when I took the job. Um, but what was so cool about that, so I um, I learned project management. I was on their software development team, had no software development skills. But what I learned was like that process. And I think those are really important just business skills to have that I use every single day now in my job. 
But the point of, you know, I was, I was working um, and talking to my manager and we were doing my, my plan of like, okay, how am I going to grow in this company? And they said, uh, I, she was just said like, I think I asked her, what's, why, why do you like it here? Like what motivates you? And she said, you know, I love the, the lifestyle, I like the people I work with. And I'm not really passionate about anything. Um, so, so consulting in her mind was very good for people who like the work, but don't have, again, this is just her, but, um, but I mean, that is consulting, right? You're helping companies that do have a strong mission fulfill it, but the consulting company itself is helping them achieve that mission rather than having a, a mission core to their business. So, right, um, right. so to me, that, that was when I was like, wait, that is not, that's not me. Of course, it's great to have people you like enjoy working with um, and a, a comfortable lifestyle with consulting. But I knew there was some, there were lots of things I was passionate about. So were you consulting in the medical field or your clients yeah, in the so, medical? Yeah, our client was FDA. And oh, I thought, okay. oh my gosh, it's going to be great. I'm going to be helping, um, <laughs> helping consumers, right? And it was so far removed from, like, I never saw the benefits of the work I was doing. I know, I mean, I never saw it on the, the consumers. I definitely saw the processes that were implemented, helping with, like, drug approvals and things like that, um, adverse event reporting. Like, all that stuff is very, very important. But, uh, but I just, I wanted something that was more human. Again, going back to that, like, care for the whole person. Like, where is the person in this work. So that's when I decided, I think it's time to go to public health school. Um, started looking up like what public health was and it just really resonated with what I wanted. What I was going to do within public health, I did not know. So I, I applied to a couple schools. I decided uh, to go to Harvard for public health. And what's really cool about Harvard that I think not all programs offer is the ability to take classes at other other schools within Harvard. So I took a lot of classes at the Graduate School of Education, uh, the business school, and that I just used those two years that I got that degree to try a bunch of different things. And I think that is really important to finding your purpose is seeing, okay, how much can I test out in this kind of safe, safe time to like, I try, I had a research job. I worked at a startup. I worked at, I guess what you might call a speed up. So a company that was already established that had a, a product. I did a government job and I was able to kind of see like, oh, this is a good fit. This is not a good fit. Like, and it was really like, I loved research, but I wanted to make a thing. Like I wanted to not just do research for the sake of research. Like knowledge is so important. It's how we make decisions, but it wasn't for me. It was not, I was not patient enough to see mm -hmm. that. Uh, same thing with policy. Policy is an amazing way to have a tremendous impact on people's wellness, but it was not for me. I mm -hmm. did something fast um, that I could have more control over like the path it took. And I think with policy, that's difficult. Um, it just wasn't for me. So yeah, yeah, it was good though. To, like a lot of my peers did go into things like that, um, all sorts of different paths. But uh, business was surprisingly interesting. The startups that I did because I could see like you, you have the potential to have an impact on consumers. You can measure it. Uh, you can you can see it, and you can change very quickly. Again, that's really hard to do, I think, with some policies. What so so pre um, pre Harvard, you said that public health resonated. Yeah. Um, what so what about public health resonated? And so it's interesting that you, like public health resonated, and then you got into public health, and there's different types of public health that are more kind of large governance bodies that are slow moving and kind of, you know, are, we'll just say governance bodies, a little heavier bureaucracy um, with positive intent. Uh, and that didn't resonate. And 
so can you talk about just like why public health, what was interesting about public health? And once you got in, what you learned about what you liked and, and didn't like? Yeah, for me, public health, I was really interested in consumer behavior. Um, so health consumer behavior specifically. Yeah. I started my undergraduate work, did a lot of um, work with mental health and tobacco use. Mm. And I went in thinking, okay, I'll continue that. And then I always wanted to influence behavior through uh, nutrition and exercise. So then that became a focus. Um, and what's really interesting, so so you're asking why I went into public health. I mean, it was that direct impact on people's behavior and helping them change those behaviors. And I went in thinking, I will learn these skills to just educate people the right way, and they're going to change their behavior. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. day one of <laughs> health school, I feel like they said, telling people to change their behavior does almost nothing. And what, did get drilled into um, my, my studies. I like again and again, this theme kept coming up of the social determinants of health, the influence that your community has on you, where you live, the people in your life. And to me, tied into everything um, I later experienced with just the, the powerful impact of a running buddy, um, I got it. I was like, there is something to the people in your life that can make or break your health behavior and a lot of other your behaviors too. Um, mm-hmm. Think about it. It doesn't have to just be related to health. So that was, that was eye opening. That was like the message I took away from school. I went in thinking health communication, going to learn all these cool strategies. Of course, now it seems obvious. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It does seem obvious. Like I, I really, I loved the truth campaign. I thought that was like really cool to see how they've um, curbed tobacco use among teens. And they've done it in what I think is kind of a cool way, like rather than just telling teens smoking's bad, like really exposing the industry uh, and some of the tactics they were using and making it a, a moral question. I think that really resonates with millennials and like some generations now really care about these these concepts, which are so cool to see. Uh, but yeah, but telling telling people alone, doing research and like we can have the best, it's a, it's a constant problem in public health is, is communication. It couldn't be more clear now with, with COVID-19. Right. How do you convey risk? How do you talk about uh, things we don't know without sounding like we don't know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But that's science. You're always trying to, uh, yeah, we're always learning more. And that means that sometimes we contradict what we did know yesterday and said we knew. Was your was your research of uh, in your master's, was it solely on tobacco use? Not at all. It? Okay. it was, um, I worked with Christina Roberto. She does what's called um, strategic uh, how did she call it? Strategic research, basically. She looks at policies that are in discussion and tries to find how can we get more data so that these policies are informed by by evidence. And her work had a lot to do with people's perceptions and behaviors around food um, and word choice. So she's done a lot with like the uh, sugary beverages and how, how that's like how that's talked about and how that influences people, whether or not they support a policy. And the work I did with her um, and this group called Striped was actually around packaging of diet products. Hmm. So the claims that are made that now going back to my work with the FDA at my first job in consulting, um, those packages, and they all say for nutritional supplements that they are not evaluated by the FDA because the Hmm. FDA does not review them. So that was super interesting. Like yeah. I got to, I've never spent so much time in CVS looking. <laughs> I would look at every, well, not every single, but almost every single bottle, see the claims that they made and we coded, like we categorized information on that. Um, but that was, that was how I learned like, okay, this is what a research job looks like. And it was through doing it that I realized, okay, there's a lot of there's a lot of writing. There's a lot of cleaning of data, data analysis, mm-hmm. uh, which again, I use all these things now, but I use them for changing supporty the product and product development. 
it's less rigorous at Supporty. Um, I think to be a researcher, you have to really uh, be detail-oriented, process-oriented. I think for a startup, it's a lot of times quick and dirty. And that, <laughs> that fits a little bit better for me. Um, but but having tried it, like I, I think it's a really great skill and I'm glad I had that experience. How much of so choice architecture, right? I just, I love that concept of choice architecture. And I always think of the, the phrase libertarian paternalism. Ooh, okay. And, and I think it's from um, Richard Thaler. I'm pretty sure it's from Richard Thaler. So he talks about how the, um, if, uh, so the story is in a cafeteria. Yeah. If you put the healthy foods kind of, uh, not out of reach, but you have the kid has to reach to get the apple and you put the sugary snacks at eye level. Yeah. Uh, and then you monitor that cafeteria, uh, the adoption, and then you flip it, right? You put the apple at eye level and you put the sugary snacks out of reach. Then you're still giving them, them the choice. Yeah. But you're making it easier to make what we would all agree is the healthier choice. So with stuff like that, I mean, how much of that would apply to what you're doing in Supporty and maybe not in, in the current version, but in future versions? I mean, how much of it is, and just on a personal level, like how do we structure our day so that we can make good choices, but also not completely give up when we, when we do grab that sugary snack and not the apple? <laughs> Yes. I mean, that is, that is a lot of Christina's work in the psychology of eating and consumer health lab, I think is what it's called. And yeah, it's setting up your environment to support the choices you want to make good behaviors. So I think I would love supporting to provide more suggestions about things like that, because why does it have to be so hard to stick to your behaviors. Ideally, you use supporty as kind of the thing that gets you going on a habit, but eventually to have structures in place where it becomes automatic, it, I mean, that's the goal. You can only use supporty when you want to add on your next habit or, you know, make it more challenging, or if it starts to get challenging for whatever reason, like supporty is always there for you for that. But when you're first figuring out how to make that automatic, I think um, having those structures in place to make to make good choices is mm -hmm. why, why wouldn't we want to set ourselves up for success? I think it's just hard to have the awareness that we're not doing that already to realize that, Oh, by putting, uh, but putting my workout clothes, like in, you know, the far side of the room, I'm much less likely to use them. Some people I've heard a great tip is like, just put on your exercise clothes and like, you'll, you're much more likely to, to exercise. Cause you're like, Oh, I already took the first step. But if you can make it that much easier to do that, some people I know sleep in their exercise clothes. So that when you there, yeah, I've heard that as a tip for um, a running group I did that woke up super early. I'm like, that is, that'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> set up for success. Um, and I think though, at the flip side, like you're saying, like, can we still have choice to indulge and to not always be on this kind of, uh, autopilot of the good choice. I think it's, it's okay. I think we need to have some um, empathy for ourselves. And I've heard the example of like a little, a little child that's learning to walk. You don't say, Oh, you fell down. You know, it's all over. No, you say, okay, let's get back up. We'll try again. Why don't we do that for ourselves and more adults? I think it, I think having a little bit of wiggle room um, and honestly supporting that is also some of the, the thinking of the seven days at a time. Like maybe you take that day in between the, your two seven day sessions and you, you let yourself do whatever. Like it's not the end of the world to take a day off from a habit, um, you know, and, and give yourself some wiggle room. It's just important that you, you get back on it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how, how are you thinking about, well, so social isolation and loneliness, it was, has been a, has been a, a thing before we were in stay at home quarantine orders. And now, right. Um, 
emotional health, mental health is kind of moving to the forefront of concerns for uh, for employers, for policymakers. Um, when when you think about just social isolation and you look out into the future, like this undefined future that um, we're we're trying to figure out in a post stay at home or a post COVID nineteen world, how how what does that mean to you at supporting and how does that does that change um i would assume it amplifies the mission of what you're trying to accomplish but has how has this pandemic impacted you and your organization i think that social isolation is a, a really big problem and um we don't we don't always think about the impact it has it's okay so someone you know, feels isolated, but we know that that is correlated to depression and other mental health and even physical health. Uh, mm. I'm, I think the um, National Academy of Sciences recently put out a whole paper about social isolation in elderly populations and, you know, the high risk of mortality that that, that has. And I think there is potential for something like supporty down the road to be applied. Now, are we saying that in nursing homes, we can have people using, you know, apps? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that would, but could we t- adapt something like the supporting model where we pair people up one at a time? Maybe that's through video chat, or maybe I think there is a platform that does something very similar to that. Um, mm. Why not? I think that'd be a great way to reach people who don't have supportive people in their lives already. A lot of people that use supporty have wonderful people in their, their life, in their support network, um, but who just aren't giving them the support they need either on a daily basis or it's just not quite right. Or a thing I hear a lot is they're too nice and too easy on me. I need someone who's, you know, really committed. Um, But I think what we've seen is that we know social support is protective against stress. That just the idea of knowing that someone's got your back, someone that's, at least that's the mechanism that it's thought um, how, how it works, how does social support reduce stress and uh, help with resilience. It's thought that if you know that there's someone there for you, that helps you kind of remember, all right, this, um, I can get through this. There's people in my life who care about me, who believe in me. And mm-hmm. uh, it's heartbreaking that there are a lot of at-risk communities that don't have that, who can't say with confidence that they have someone who cares. And if supporty can play a role in giving that support and letting them people know that they matter, that we're, we're watching, you know, we're, we care to see that you're doing um, and that you're trying to do a daily action and improve yourself. I think that's fantastic. And I would really love to see the application used in that way. Absolutely. To, to reach populations that um, that really, really stand to gain from it. So you mentioned Georgia. Georgia is your running buddy. You've kind of, in some ways, created a, a virtual Georgia. That's maybe Georgia's the inspiration. Are there other Georgias in your life that have influenced the mission of Supporty? And kind of, you know, you've referenced the the social structure. Are there people that come to mind? Oh, Absolutely. I mean, um, I've had great mentors, as I mentioned, they were great. Um, it wasn't so much a mutual accountability thing there. Mm. Um, I have to mention back on my feet, it was, it's a running program in cities throughout the U S where, uh, it uses running as empowerment for people who are at risk for homelessness. And that is where I saw accountability really in action. So that's a group accountability model, not one-on-one, but people wake up 5.30 a.m., all meet, we all run together. And I've seen the leaders of Back on My Feet and how they hold people accountable. And for a lot of the members, it's the first time someone's even caring enough to say, you missed Wednesday. What happened? Mm, yeah. Like, we want you to show up and there are consequences if you don't. And it's all done with love. And I, I always kind of felt uncomfortable because I do not love confrontation. Um, how do you, how do you hold someone accountable from a place of love? And it, it really is just, just like asking, well, you know, what happened? We missed you. And I think it may feel like, um, 
you're calling someone out <laughs> yeah. on not fulfilling. But in fact, I think that person realizes, wow, there's people who will notice if I don't show up. And, and that's amazing. And that's actually a good thing. They care enough about my progress to say something. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's back on my feet was huge for that. Um, and I, I learned a lot through that model. Uh, and then, I mean, like my husband is the one who said I should do supporting because I just kept talking about it. Like I said, I kept saying, could someone else please make this app? <laughs> um, and I was just like, all right, if no one's going to do it, maybe it's time for me to, to do it. Um, and yeah, and that's, that's been great. Again, it's like someone who kind of tells you what you need to hear not always what you want to hear. That's been really important for sure. Uh, so, so many, I mean, for me, exercise is really how I find accountability partners and how I motivate myself. But I, I mean, with work things like going to networking events, I've had groups that, where we, we hold each other accountable to fulfilling our business goals for the week. That's been incredible. Right here in yeah. Seattle, there's a bunch, um, like F-Bomb Breakfast Club, mm-hmm. One Million Cups is great. I think that's how we met. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, like yeah. having people who, like, you know, are going to ask, did you do the thing you said you were going to do last week? That's incredible. Right. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. Uh, okay. So what about the future? What does the future hold for Supporty and Bridget? Well, we really want to make social support scalable, Uh, have ways that, you know, maybe we don't have to train people through super buddies. Maybe we do keep that model, but a way to bring on a ton of people so we can just have massive impact and help a lot of a lot of people, a lot of, like I said, at risk communities that people who don't have that social support and whose lives would be greatly impacted by having someone make sure that they are you know, stick into to positive daily actions. Um, that That's where, really where I foresee Supporty going. So right now we're trying to figure out how do we you know, do this on a massive scale? How can we, like, it's human powered, you know, we're not gonna, yeah. like, we do not replace people with chat bots. I think there are solutions out there. And I think that for some people that is the right solution, but mm. because of what we know about the power of human connection and social support, uh, it's not a replacement. So we need to figure out how to bring out the best in people time and time and time and time again uh, so that we can always ensure it's an amazing experience um, and and really help people really have an impact. Love it. Um, where can listeners find more information? Yeah, you can search Supporty on the app stores. It's support with an I at the end. Um, and you can go to getsupporty.com to just learn more about the whole picture, get some information about you know, what accountability partners uh, do for each other, motivation, habit building, all that stuff. It's getsupporty, G-E-T-S-U-P-P-O-R-T-I.com. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much, Bridget. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.